0: Um, I was 15 at the time, and I, and I became a Christian at Teen Ranch. I know I've, I've mentioned this. Teen Ranch is a Christian youth camp out at Cobbity. And so at a camp, like drastic, I gave my life to the Lord. Um, I'd been thinking about it for three years, trying to work out what that actually looked like and whether I was willing to do that. And in the end, I did do it. And uh, best decision I've ever made, being a follower of Jesus, becoming a Christian, best decision I ever made. And I can honestly say, except for about two days, I've never looked back. I did have this question for two days in my, when I was about 19. I quickly turned that around and got straight back and went, that's nuts. How can there not be a God? And uh, anyway, at Teen Ranch, I, uh, from the age of 16, got onto voluntary staff. And I worked up there nearly every weekend. When I was doing my apprenticeship uh, as an electrician, I was up there three out of four weekends because I had to study. My parents made me stay home for a weekend and study because we had an exam once a month. So three out of four weekends I was there. One of the things we did was play rugby league, um, as you do. So we had our own team and we thought, hey, instead of just playing in the normal comps that were around, we would go into Parramatta Jail and play against the prisoners. Now there were about 580 inmates at Parramatta Jail back in the 80s and um, we used to go in We'd play against them. They'd put on a barbecue for us. And uh, we'd write our testimony out. And the person that we played against, we'd give our testimony to them. Now, they were buff guys. I mean, that's all they did all week was work out. But the screws, the well, that's what they call them. Um, so the, the guards, they, they loved us coming in because we played fair and, and they could trust us. But it was, I'll tell you, I won't get there. I've got lots of stories, I'll tell you what. But we'd have lunch. They put on lunch for us. In fact, I don't know if you've heard of N- N- Nettie hey. Smith. Nettie Smith, anyway. He used to cook the lunch for us. And uh, he, he's an all time big criminal. Um, and uh, we used to have a great witness. But I actually had heard that there was a chapel service on Sundays. And there was a Salvation Army major, I think he was. And he uh, led the chapel service. So I got in contact with him. Now, I'm only 18. And I thought, I want to go in and see these guys on a Sunday outside the the footy, and maybe I can have something to do with them. So I did. I rang him up and he said, I'd love you to come. He said, I'd go by myself, so join me. So I did. I went on in there. Now, the chapel is right off the quadrangle, where if you're dressed in green, that's the only place you get to walk. And there was probably two or 300 blokes just hanging out in the quadrangle. The major, he comes out, sets up his little uh, microphone with his little box and he starts speaking to them, calling them on a Sunday morning to come to church, come into the chapel, and because and, and they're all just standing around in their groups, smoking, walking around, playing basketball. There was a fair few of them and all of a sudden, he turns to me without telling me anything, this chaplain, this major, and he says to me, Ken, he says, Give us your favourite verse and tell us why. And I'm thinking, I'm just here to watch. I'm not here to talk. I'm all of 18, you know. Give us your favourite verse and tell us why. Now, I need to get you this. Because I chose a verse which is my favourite verse. And um, it still is. But in hindsight, maybe it wasn't the best verse. But God knows. I think, of course, I was caught out so quickly. He let me do it. Here it is. And I said this. Jesus said the thief comes only to kill, to steal and destroy. And as I said that, as they were coming out of my mouth, I'm looking at all these men in green and I'm going, what am I saying? And the major is looking at me like absolutely dumbfounded. And I said, but... Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it in the fullness. And that's it. I said, I'm here because Jesus brings life to the fullness. Now, the funny thing is about it, some of those guys are in there for life, (laughs) but uh, not the life that we're talking about. Anyway, I went on to explain and ended up going into the service with them, and uh, I went for a, a good couple of months to help this gentleman out when I wasn't at Teen Ranch working on Sundays. Um, you know Jesus does have the answer to life and he does give us the fullness of life that's his promise right there read it take a hold of it grab it and hold him to it that's what we need to do because that's the life he invites us to now there's many things that promises a good time in this life many things put it out there Advertising's all around us. But to be honest, they don't really come up with the goods. And I've got one right here. It's this. Yeah, see, some people would say that, I thought. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, when Coke first started, which was in 18 something, 1800 and something, they started advertising was the big thing that got Coke on its way. And in its, I think it was about its third year, Coca-Cola's advertising went like this. Coca-Cola, this is in 1905, Coca-Cola revives and sustains. Coca-Cola revives and sustains. You know, I watched a show on Sugar the other day. Man, they bagged this out. <laughs> Coca-Cola revives and sustains. In 1976, and this is the one I remember the most, Coke adds life. Drink this, you've got life. A bit different to that verse up there, I think. Coke ads life. Maybe one that you might be a little bit closer to in 1982, it said, Coke is it. Coke is it. You remember that ad? You can't get any more than Coke. Well, you know what, you can't blame them, can you? You can't blame them. That's what advertising's for. They want you to purchase their product. They have to sell you an idea that entices you to want it. But let me just say, Coke doesn't add life. And it's like that saying, they promise the world and they deliver an atlas. You know, you drink the Coke and you go, I'm still feeling down. I've got a sugar hit. I've got a bit of caffeine in me. But it hasn't solved my problems to life. I still have to live. But Jesus says to you, when you follow me, I'll show you life in all its fullness. Life abundantly. And he backs up his words by living this exemplary life. And then he does this amazing sacrificial death. And then he turns around and does this amazing resurrection back to life. And he says, I can give you life in all its fullness. Because I've experienced life. I've experienced death. And death cannot hold me because of my life. And I am alive again. And the invitation to us is to live in, out, in and out of that fullness. They got to, he gets, we get to live out of that fullness, and that's amazing. See, he backs up his words by the doing, not just the saying. And what that proves is you can't keep a good man down, I believe. He knows about life, and he knows how you can live it to the full. Now, this year's theme um, is moving forward. We've been talking about this, and I spoke about this uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, on following Jesus. If we're going to go forward, then let's follow Jesus. Someone's got to be in front of us if we're going to make this forward progression. I've come to realise that when Jesus gives the invitation to follow him, it's an invitation into what life is meant to be. And so if I'm going to go forward in my Christian walk, I'm going to follow Jesus But there's a couple of things he asks me to do. You see, to follow him signifies that he is in front and that I will proceed behind him to where he desires to take me. And the truth that I've found is that the more you get to know him, the more you realize he knows what's best for you. And that's really hard to say as a control freak (laughs) because I like to hold my life in my hand and organize what I... But hold on. He's saying, do you trust me? And I go, okay, I hear what you're saying. I have to hand over and follow you. He's the giver of life, and he desires to lead you and me into that abundant life. So this week, I want us to look at what I've called living for Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we need to make sure we live for Jesus. And living for Jesus is about being in relationship with him. So if you need to define what living for Jesus means, it's about being in relationship, being in relationship with him. When Jesus was on earth, this is what he invited the 12 disciples into. And it's just an amazing thing when you read the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, the first four. You start to see how these 12 disciples got to hang out with Jesus. And I often think about what would that be like on an evening sitting around the fire with him, under the the, the skies of uh, Jerusalem or the Galilee, and sitting with Jesus around a fire, listening to the stories, asking the questions, laughing. You see, they got to know him quite intimately. He revealed himself to them. They got to know what he liked and what he disliked, his desires, his personality, his character. They got to listen to him. They got to connect with him, laugh with him, chat, discuss, And experience everyday life with him. And they were amazed. They were challenged. They were coached by him. Three years. They got to ask questions. and They got to hear his answers. They generally walked, talked, slept, prayed, played, ate and enjoyed his company in the journey that he invited them into. And to me that's real relationship. That's real relationship. And Jesus knows how important this relationship is for his followers. For you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus. He knows how important this relationship is. Because it's not a relationship from a distance, which is often how we perceive our relationship with God, that he's out there. It's not. It's not a relationship from a distance. But it's a journey together in the present, I believe. And this is what you and I were made for, for. We were made in the image of God. Our Creator, You see, God in himself is relational, isn't he? He is Father, he is the Son, he is the Holy Spirit. He is the Trinity, three in one, one at, at three. All at the same time. I don't get it, which is kind of good, because if I did, I'd be God. But I don't get it. When I try and put God in the box, he explodes my box. He is relational in and of himself. But we are created in his image and desire a relationship also. So God made sure that relationship with him could be carried on. And I want to show you how he does this. John 16 verse 7. Jesus' words spoken to the disciples just before he went back to the Father was this. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus. I'm telling you the truth, he says. This is the truth. Let that sink in, okay? It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is to your advantage. Now, basically the word advantage means to be better off. It is better off that I go away. Now, let me ask you the question. Would you like to be like where the disciples were, sitting around the fire with Jesus right there? Or do you want the Holy Spirit living within you? Which is better, Jesus' presence right there or the Holy Spirit living in you now? Well, you know, it's very easy for us to go, oh, I want Jesus right there. Talking, chatting, like, it. but Jesus says, no. It's your advantage that I actually go. Because I'm not there outside, I am here inside. We are better off having the Holy Spirit in us. That's Jesus' truth. Truth. Because there's only one Jesus. There's only one Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit can indwell every believer. So you and I are better off. We are better off. It's quite an amazing verse, isn't it? Jesus was telling the disciples that they were better off with him seated beside the Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit living within them. And that applies to us today, I believe. As followers of Jesus today, we have an advantage in life. We have an advantage in life. God does not abandon us to go it alone in our daily walk, but instead lives in us through the Holy Spirit. We're better off today than the disciples had been living with Jesus. we're going to let that sink in we're going to let that move from here to here and go i'm better off than having jesus here what does he mean by that and this is how we i believe have relationship with jesus today he lives in us so when you become a follower of jesus he invites you into a life to be lived with him that's relationship but there's an important point you need to note here now If you're going to listen to anything this morning, this is the point. Relationship is not spelt religion. Get it? Relationship is not spelt religion. When Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit living in us, he's talking about a life led by God, not just about doing things. I'm going to talk about that. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We are required to do things. But that's not what God talks about as relationship. Do you want to know how true this statement is? Let me show you some verses. Okay, here it is. Jesus said it this way. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, but Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Have a look at there in verse 21. Jesus says it's not about the words, but it's about a desire to connect with the Father. Many people can go around, Lord, Lord. He says, I don't know you. It's not about the words we say. It's very easy. I can get up here and say all the words. But you don't know what I do in the privacy of my own house and my own mind, which could be totally opposite. But I don't know that because I'm showing you, Lord, Lord. What about verse 22? The people boast about all the religious things they do. Now, let's just consider this. If I was casting out demons of people up here, you'd go, wow, he must be spiritual. If I'm doing many mighty works in Jesus' name, you'd go, he's pretty spiritual. And what's the first one? Um, who does um, prophesy in my name. If I get up here and prophesy, you'd go, he's pretty spiritual. What does Jesus say? I never knew you. So there's all the actions that are going on for these people. There's all the words and there's all the actions. In verse 23, Jesus sees right through their religious words and actions and he proclaims he doesn't know them. He does not know them. Can you see what he's saying? God doesn't keep a checklist marking down what they've been doing or they're not doing. He just wants to know them. That's relationship. You see, my eternal destiny is isn't about religion. It isn't about religion. That is the words I say or the activities I do. But it's about relationship with him. You see, to do the will of the Father, see that there in verse 21? To do the will of the Father means I must first know the will of the Father. And that implies relationship, doesn't it? I don't know what he wants unless I spend time with him, in his presence, with him, walking, talking, communing, knowing him. It's not enough just to read the Bible. That's important. That's the the, the road mark that leads us into his presence. But there's more than just words on a page. It's relationship with him that the Spirit gives us that we are better off to draw into his presence. And to walk with him every moment. I can't know what God wants unless I spend time with him. Let me show you another one. He even reinforces it. This distinction between religion and relationship in the parable of the ten virgins. Now, there's a lot of verses there. I'm not going to read it out to you. But let me just tell you. Jesus tells us about this very common Jewish custom. It's a wedding. And there's ten virgins. Who in this story symbolize religious purity. Okay? And they're waiting for the bridegroom to arrive so that they can go into the wedding feast with him. It's interesting. It's a custom, a Jewish custom, and it's apparently that the bridegroom gets to have these girls that walk him in to the feast, into the marriage feast. And we're also told that out of the 10, because it's early in the morning, I presume, uh, uh, 10 of them had brought their lamps, which are oil lamps, but five of them had brought extra oil. Good thinking, just in case. And the oils to keep their lamps burning. But the bridegroom, he takes a while to come. Those of you who are married, the blokes, can I have a hand? Anyone late for their wedding, blokes? Anyone? Yeah, Dave. Dave was late! Wow! Okay, ladies, at your wedding, hand up if you were late for your wedding. There was a couple of hands, maybe. <laughs> Two minutes, okay. I find this interesting, the bloke's the late one. But Dave, yeah, you're up there, man. I was on time You're on time. You're waiting for him. Okay. Had you walked down the front and going, come on. <laughs> anyway, what happens is because he takes his time, they use up all their oil. So the five who didn't have any spare oil, they, have, they had to run off into town and they'd buy more. And when they returned... The door of the feast is shut. The door of the feast is shut. And we read these words. Let me show you. When they asked, Lord, Lord... There's those two words again, isn't it? Lord, Lord, open for us. In verse 11, the answer comes from the master. I tell you the truth. I don't know you. I don't know you. The thing to notice is that being shut out was not about having or not having enough oil. And I think that's where we'd normally go to with this verse. But it's all about whether the bridegroom knew them. It's all about whether the bridegroom knew them. I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Their not entering seemed to be a matter of the heart. It was about their relationship with the groom. He didn't know them. All of life is about our relationship with God, not our religion. Religion has been expressed to me this way the things we do on our own to win His favour. The things we do on our own to win His favour. That's what religion does. I want to win God's favour. This is why I said last time I preached that the Christian life's more about being than doing. We're human beings, not human doings. Relationship rises up from the inside. It's from the heart that relationship breaks forth into actions. And God knows that if you fall in love with him on the inside, then everything will happen naturally on the outside. Now... I've been a supporter of the sharks for 45 years. 45 years. I have to get this out. Now, i noticed that Nathan actually said that he thought we should be fasting and praying for the sharks. That was irreligious, wasn't it, to say that? 45 years. In fact, you know, I've got it all. It gets quite cold at Shark Park when I used to go down there. Or when I, don't you dare take a photo of that. Yes. Why am I talking about the Sharks? Except that they're going to win today. What else? But deep inside, I do have a passion for the team. I do have a passion for the team. I mean, 45 years and they haven't won a thing. Some of you are going, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I like the Sharks, okay? 45 years. Now, it's nowhere near my love for God. But they're in my heart. (laughs) You don't follow something for 45 years unless there's something there. But my desire to follow sharks is not based on having to attend their games or how sh- loud I shout at the game. And that's quite embarrassing, by the way. Asked Fiona, she came once. <laughs> my passion is not based on having to wear their colours or having to join their membership, which I'm a lifetime member, by the way. <laughs> or pay my fees. It's not based on any of those things. These are all things I do to display that I am a follower. I follow the Sharks because I want to, because I believe in them. <laughs> and they let me down a lot. <laughs> but not today. You see, being a member or a fan of any club, and I know there's other people here that belong to other clubs, is not because of what you do. It's because you believe deep within yourself that this is important and you want to be a part of it. It's more than just an outward expression. See, the major difference, though, between me following the sharks and me living and following Jesus, is that Jesus affects my whole life. He affects my whole life. Both now, in the present, and all that's going to happen into the future. Like I'm talking about, he affects my life today and tomorrow. Abundant life is not heaven. I actually used to think that. That verse was all about, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That's abundant life, because this is such a drag in this. No, it's for the now. Abundant life is for the now. That's our advantage. That's why we're better off, having the Spirit in us, for the now, to deal with the things that have come our way. As a young Christian, I wanted to love God more, serve God more. I wanted to to do more for him, (laughs) it's sad to say, And this is the verse I was shown. And boy, did I hang on to this verse. Oh, man. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But I went straight to the second part of the verse. I just saw keep my commandments. And being a legalist that I am and quite a rigid one, I just wanted to keep his commandments. I was one of law in my early Christian walk, not of grace. And it's both, isn't it? But I was one of law, and I just had to keep his commandments. The sad thing is I interpret this verse to say this. Listen to this. If you love me, you will obey me and prove how much you love me. That's how I interpreted that. If you love me, you will obey me and prove how much you love me. So a long time in my Christian walk, I was out to prove to God that I loved him. And I thought the only way I can do that is to keep his commandments. But that's not what it says. Jesus is saying when we truly love him, our obedience to him will flow out of relationship. You've got to go to the first part of the verse. That comes from Jesus' statement in the first part. If you love me. We sang that lovely song, and Michelle led us into that. Love. That's the key, isn't it? Love. If you love me, that's relationship. You see, if my service for God is an outworking of my love for God, it's a funny thing that you do for love, though. It's a funny thing you do for love. That's a song, isn't it? Maybe not. Now, I'm not wrapped up in gardening, okay? Gardening's not my forte. The time, the effort, the trouble. Now, sure, the outcome is nice, but is that really how you want to spend a weekend? No. Thanks, Dave. I'm in there. No. However, my wife, Fiona, feels the most loved person in the world when I work in the garden with her. Stop crossing your eyes, Dave. So, I'm not one for gardening, but my wife loves it when I get into the garden and help her. The point is, I do it because I love her. It brings me great joy to do something that I know she really appreciates, as much as I hate it. <laughs> I can say it's not here. It's been recorded, that's, me and recorder, that's all right. But what we do for God also reveals the extent of our love, doesn't it? I think this is the problem so many people have with following Jesus. Even, I think, Christians. We fall into the trap that what we do is out of obligation and it's a duty-motivated obedience. Ah, we get it so wrong. We get it so wrong. And this is something I've constantly had to fight with against in my own life. I ask myself, why do I think it happens? (laughs) My answer's not pretty. Because it's easier just to do things, much easier than to give myself wholeheartedly. It's much easier just to do things for God than to give Him my whole heart. To know Him. Let me ask you, which is easier, the gardening or to unconditionally love my wife? Which is easier? to <laughs> do the gardening, it's only an hour. But to unconditionally love Fiona is devotion, commitment, and deep relationship the whole of my life. You see, I can come to church. I can serve at church. I can do whatever I want at church for an hour. Hey, I'm all good with God. Got the tip. But he says, I don't want that. He says, I want your unconditional devotion. I want your heart. I want the relationship to walk with you, to know you, and for you to know me. That's what God's inviting us into, not religious activity. A relationship with Jesus offers so much more. He says it's to our advantage that he went back to the Father. And Jesus invites you to fall in love with him, for this is true living, to fall in love with him. But don't ever think that this is some kind of soft, mushy, sickly sort of Hollywood emotion. That's not what he's talking about. And i'm glad as a bloke that's exactly what he's not talking about i don't want that i don't get into that i don't understand all that just stuff (laughs) but what god asks me for is devotion healthy strong given over relationship and it's definitely not the completing of a checklist of rules and regulations He wants to nurture your relationship with him in a way that deepens your intimacy with the living God. And with the Holy Spirit living in you, you have all you need to fall into the fulfilling relationship with your creator. That's the great thing about it. It doesn't come from formulas, systems or structures. It comes when something happens on the inside of us. When our love for God is so vibrant that it spills over into the way that we see everything. That's what he wants. It spills over into the way we see everything. So my challenge is, do you know God? Are you known by God? I'm going to close. I want to close with this lesson that I learned about love. And I might have to read it because I get quite emotional when I uh, think about this. I learned a huge lesson about what love looks like. Um... When my son, Jaden, he's, what, 26 today, when he was about one and a half years old. I was at my parents' home with my uh, brother and his brother-in-law, and they, all up we had four children, yeah, at that point. And we didn't realise this, but we were inside and we didn't realise that the children had actually wandered outside, through the back door and out onto the veranda, where the dog was, uh, a kelpie. Beautiful dog. The first thing I heard was the dog barking and growling, and the children screaming. And I ran to see the dog standing over my son. There was blood everywhere, and his face was ripped open. And of course, panic erupted. Well, I grabbed Jaden. You know, his his face is a, he was only one and a half. His little tiny face. And I just pushed his face into my chest, I remember I had a white t-shirt on. And I just held him. There was noise everywhere, it was nuts, (laughs) screaming. And my brother, he jumped into the car and we just drove as fast as we could to Southern Hospital where the doctors spent the next hour sewing his face back together basically. It was hard. Now, 24 stitches later, his little face was just a swollen, bloody mess. I don't know where they could put 24 stitches in that little face. But today, you wouldn't even know it happened. <laughs> That's the good thing about it. They were amazing doctors. And, you know, unless you look really closely, I could point it out to you, but you wouldn't know. But I remember as they took his little lifeless body away on that big trolley, I would have given anything to swap places with him they'd put him under because they were going to take him in to to operate on him. I wanted to be on that trolley. Now, of course, as I'm doing now, why would he be any different in the experience of seeing his son die there? God loved his son. He boomed it from the sky at his baptism, didn't he? Remember what he said? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was the statement. God didn't make many statements from the sky in the New Testament, and that was one. This is my beloved son. But God also said this, I'll let my son die on the cross because I love you. I'll let my son die on the cross because I love you. You see, I realized how great the Father's love for me is. The fact that he let his son go through death so that I could have life is absolutely amazing love. That's how far God will go for relationship with you. God's love for you and me really is overwhelming. And if you don't know about that love, then I want to talk with you. I want to sit with you. I want to have coffee with you. <laughs> because that's the important thing to life. That's what you need to be thinking about. And for those of us who are believers, the Christian faith is not an impersonal business transaction. The Christian life's not an impersonal business transaction. That's not what you've got into the Holy Spirit will breathe life into you if you have an intimate personal relationship with God. And while there are steps that you can take to grow closer to God, and we're going to look at these in the coming weeks, there are things that we will do, your motivation has to be a desire for relationship, not a sense of duty. You see, I hear people say when they get cornered and they get stressed out and they get put. I... Oh, I have to stop something. And it's usually church is the first thing that gets stopped. And I think that's interesting. I, I've been there. I just, just need to stop this. But, you know, I don't know if that's... I, I, don't, I don't know if it's almost what you need to stop, but what you need to start. And I think what we need to start is, do we love God? Do we know God? because it's the stress that's taking us out. And now I think it's the devil's ploy to say, oh, get, the, get rid of all the religious stuff, get rid of the... Oh, I, I think there is a case that we need to look at, but I'd like to first of all say, what is your relationship with God like? So I want to ask this get real question. We're, we're good at that here, aren't we? We're going to ask the get real question. It's a very simple one. Are you in love with Jesus? Are you in love with Jesus? Because being deeply in love with Jesus is how you live for Jesus. Jesus is asking, do you love me? Do you love me? And if you find your Christian life as a real burden or a drag or just an endless filling of rules and regulations, or maybe there's other activities that capture your attention, then I'm guessing you need to go back to the beginning and you need to find your first love. Because there's many things in this world which will capture our attention and we get drift. to get distracted. I encourage you to respond to his great love today and to tell him how you feel and where you're frustrated or even afraid of how you love him. We can be that, you know. I'm afraid to love God in case of what he asks of me. I encourage you to respond to his great love today and to tell him how you feel and start that conversation. Spend time in his presence. Listen for what he wants to say to you. Ask the Holy Spirit, who is our advantage? Of course, you can't get real without taking action. And taking action, the taking action reply starts by having this honest conversation with God, doesn't it? It starts by having this honest conversation with God. And when He reveals it to you, do what He says. Do what he says. You have the Holy Spirit within. Who is your advantage to move closer in your relationship with Jesus and who allows you to live with him afresh? Let's pray. Great God, we do thank you for what you have done for us. We want to follow you, Jesus. What does that look like? It means to live for Jesus. It means to be in relationship with Jesus. It means to love Jesus. And we don't get to do that alone. We get to do that with the Holy Spirit that indwells us, who is our advantage to do it. And to experience the fullness of life that Jesus came for, that Jesus died for, and that Jesus rose again for. Thank you very much, great God, for all that you've done. I ask that you would lead us in this conversation, that we would get real, that we would take action, and we would acknowledge you and what you want to do in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.